Um, the voice that you are hearing is Swati Narayan from Daya Houston, and I'm going to let her take this opportunity to introduce herself, and then we'll begin with the show. So oh. please tell us about you. Well, hi, Sasha. Thank you. I know we've been talking about the weather. Um, but yes, so I'm Swati Narayan. I am a native Houstonian, and I work at Daya at, um, as their AAP Director of Community safety and belonging. Um, my role is um, funded by the Asian American Foundation, which um, came to um, existence during the pandemic, and um, they had newly invested in Texas, and, um, and I have been um, sort of, um, am leading the role here to uh, work with the AAPI community um, on issues of community safety, anti-violence, um, and, and anti-hate. Love that. So you are a fellow Houstonian. I'm a native Houstonian. <laughs> I have, you know, it's funny because I'm like looking out the window here. I, for those of you um, who aren't here, there is like wall-to-wall -wall windows all around, and you can see you have like a almost a 360 view yeah. of Houston, and just to see the changes in the city in the last, okay, I'm going to age myself, five decades, <laughs> I mean, it is, it's amazing, it, it, it yeah. has changed so much. It has, it definitely has, I mean, I grew up in, in A-Leaf, so yeah, definitely has, has made some major changes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, today we are going to be talking about domestic violence and um, gun violence. Uh, domestic violence, including intimate partner violence, is a public health crisis in the U.S. Nearly one in four and one in seven men will experience severe physical violence at the hands of their intimate partner in their lifetime. Wow. Some victims of domestic violence survive, but far too many do not. Firearms contribute significantly to domestic violence in the U.S. to threaten, to coerce, to control, and to kill. Let's delve a little bit deeper into this uniquely American issue. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, heavy wow. topic for such a beautiful day. It really is a heavy topic, but I feel like this is something that the more we talk about, it's still not enough. Oh, it's never. It's never enough. And, you know, I, I've, got, um, I've got my notes here because there is so much data there and so many statistics. And I think it's important to, like, actually look at the numbers and then also remembering that behind every number is an individual right yes. there's a whole you know um family behind that individual that's so deep friends right and yeah. so um so i think that that's also really important so you might hear me shuffling um back and forth but that's just because i want to make sure i you know absolutely I get it right for yeah. you but yeah okay so who is affected by domestic violence and intimate partner abuse so Anyone can be a victim. Um, doesn't matter what their age, sex, race, culture, religion, education, employment status, marital status, dating. Anyone can be um, a victim. Binary, non-binary, um, and overwhelmingly, you see, like within domestic violence, intimate partner violence, and it can occur, in, you know, in any relationship. Um, however, the overwhelming global burden of IPVs endured by women, and the most common perpetrators are men. Um, you know, and children are often caught in the middle and they're considered sort of the invisible, invisible um, victims of domestic violence or intimate partner violence. Um, it's just, it's so pervasive, you know, in terms of 
the people who are involved um, or who can be involved. So there really is no, there's no like barrier to somebody being a victim. Wow. So what are the risks of, uh, posed when guns are present in the context of domestic or intimate partner abuse? Well, so before we get to, to the guns, let's, yeah. let's talk about like um, some of the different types of, yeah. of domestic yes, abuse, please. right? Or domestic violence, I should say. So there's five main um, types of domestic violence that have been identified. They are physical, sexual, um, emotional, psychological, stalking, and financial. Um, so, you know, anytime any one of these um, sort of, any one of these are used to coerce or control or force another individual into, you know, submission, yeah. um, it is it is considered abuse, right? And so, um, you know, oftentimes, you know, you'll, you'll see like financial abuse, withholding of money um, to, to control somebody, um, emotional blackmail, guilt tripping, um, gaslighting, you know, all of that, you know, um, can be considered, you know, signs of abuse. And so then you were asking about firearms, right? Yes. Yes. So, um, well, let me read this stat to you yes, real quickly. Um, so talking about the abuse and the types of abuse, nearly 20 minute, 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the United States. Whoa. So just let that sink in, 20 people per minute. And during one year, this equates to more than 10 million um, men and women. And one in three women and one in four men, as you read at the beginning, have experienced some form of physical violence. On a typical day, there are more than 20,000 phone calls placed to domestic violence hotlines nationwide. And those are just phone calls that are made. We know that there's so many victims who suffer in silence and don't ever pick up the phone and call. Um, and this is particularly gripping. In surveys and studies, one in 10 high school students report experiencing physical abuse in their relationships and over 43% of college students report you know, incidents of physical abuse. So it is extremely pervasive, extremely pervasive. So when you take how commonplace it almost seems um, and then you add guns into the mix, yeah. it's almost a lethal combination, right? Um, it, it just the presence of a gun in a domestic violence situation increases the risk of homicide by 500%. 500%. And when guns are involved, it exacerbates harm, not only fatal for victims, but perpetrators, third parties, law enforcement when they come, when they arrive at the scene. Um, and get this, nearly 1 million women, 1 million women report being shot and 4.5 million women report being threatened by a gun at some point during their lives by an intimate partner. Wow. Those are some crazy numbers. It, it's, it's crazy. And you know, um, I'll just tell you, in Houston this past year, mm -hmm. this is just in Houston. Uh, and the greater Houston community, right? Mm -hmm. So not necessarily South Asian or anything like that. This past year, over 18% of all homicides were from domestic violence and 75% of those or by firearm. Wow. Um, so when permitless carry um, came into, became law in September of 2021, 
um, domestic violence murders in Houston increased by 60%. I mean, it's just, it's just it's staggering. Yes. It's staggering when you, when you see and hear the number of, the numbers, just the numbers, right? And like I was yeah. telling you, behind every number is a person, a person who had a history, a person who have, had loved ones and friends and family. And that's the ripple effect, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, uh, people are left to, you know, sort of pick up the pieces. Yeah. And then when you, when you um, add guns to the mix, yeah. like I said, it's almost always a lethal combination. I just wish there was ways where we can I don't like go to the schools, educate the kids, signs to look for if they're ever in harm, what to do. Like, you know, it's very easy to sit here and say all these things like, oh, you know, like a lot of people make the comments where you should have known better or, but unless and until you're in that situation, you just don't know what the person is going through. So you can't, from the outside, it's very hard to, you know, just make those judgments, right? Like it's very easy to make those judgments. It, it absolutely is. And in fact, it's so, it's exactly what you were saying. Like nobody knows what that person is going through. And, you know, I, I was going to talk about this a little bit later, but, um, you know, when, when you have guns in the mix or, or just the fear that somebody feels like they may want to leave, Yeah. but sometimes there is, um, there's a concern that are things going to exacerbate if I do. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and more often than not, a lot of times these, you know, like I think three fourths of these homicides occur when the victim does leave. Yeah. So there's a lot, there's a lot of, there's a lot of courage any which way yeah. for the person, a lot of courage that is being displayed by the victim any which way, whatever they cho choose to do. Now, obviously, we all want people to live a life free of harm, yeah. um, live a life of safety, live a life of dignity. Um, and that's why safety planning is just so important, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, when, when you contemplate fleeing an abusive situation. Yeah. But there's so many other factors too, right? Financially. Financially. Am absolutely. I going to be able to handle this? If there's kids involved, oh, what's going to happen to my child? Custody issues, uh, legal issues. There's so many different factors that go into this. So that many. We don't even realize. It's just not just picking up and going, right? right? There's a lot of privilege in saying, well, just pick up your, your stuff and yeah. leave. Yeah, um, it's not that easy. It's not that easy. It really isn't. Um, and, you know, and the thing is that, um, you know, as we talk about this, um, domestic violence, domestic abuse, doesn't discriminate. Like I said, you know, anybody can be um, a victim and including different people of different socioeconomic backgrounds, right? It, it's not relegated. I mean, it's often a myth um, when people say, oh, it, it might happen in, you know, underserved or um, communities where, you know, people may be lacking. Um, it can happen anywhere. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are or not. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. there's no, 
sort of recipe for yeah. who will be yeah. the victim. Yeah, totally agree. And I, like like I said, I just wish there was more uh, education provided to the kids to, to look for the signs, especially when now they're in, the ones that are in high school going into college and they have to be prepared for all these. They have to be prepared. And so, yeah, you know, talking about looking for signs, um, Bea does, you know, my, my colleague, Tisha, um, who's been here so many times, right? Yes, um, we love her. She does an amazing um, workshop on um, healthy relationships and what healthy relationships look like, look like. So, you know, it's not only just knowing the telltale signs of what potential abuse could be, mm -hmm. um, but also knowing what a healthy relationship should look like yeah right yeah and so um because ultimately that's what we want for yes. you know for you know for our kids for our friends for our family members right Absolutely. to have these healthy relationships and so um so yeah i mean you know if you're ever in um you know if you ever want any sort of workshop or training on healthy relationships you can always reach out to Daya, and we would be happy to, um, you know, to put together a workshop or yeah. maybe we could do a show on that one. Yeah, absolutely. Tisha's great. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, what are legal options for victims of domestic violence in terms of obtaining protection orders? Yeah. So you know, um, there are three main types of of protective orders available. There's like the temporary permanent and emergency. Um, and they can be issued through district attorney's office and or judges, depending on whether it's civil, criminal. Um, there are so many nuances to, um, to those protective orders. Um, so it really is best to, to reach out to somebody um, for legal advice, you know, when um, when wanting to um, know the differences between the different types of orders. However, um, if somebody is experiencing harm or abuse and wants to file a police report or wants to be able to at least file for um, some sort of a protective order, again, you know, you can reach out to Bea and we will kind of walk you through um, that process of trying to um, file a report for um, for a protective order, um, and we'll actually go with you and help with translation services as well. Oh, wow. okay. And then um, under uh, current federal law, can individuals with history of domestic violence buy or possess guns? <laughs> so, federal law prohibits people convicted of misdemeanor domestic abuse from having guns. Mm -hmm. But you also need a separate state um, prohibition to make sure that that's the case. And under Texas law, that is the case, um, if you're named in any of those orders that I had mentioned earlier. Um, it used to be that those uh, restrictions on possessing or purchasing firearms um, were only extended to marital partners. Mm -hmm. However, last year when Congress signed that bipartisan um, gun legislation, bipartisan Community Safeties Act, or Safer Communities Act mm -hmm. in 2022, they extended that to dating partners as well, okay. um, who have been convicted of a felony or a misdemeanor domestic abuse charge. The key word here is 
convicted. Um, and I say that because there is a case, um, the U.S. versus Rahimi case. Yes. Um, so it's a, it's it was um, heard at the Supreme Court earlier in November, um, and it's it could potentially shake up um, some of these laws as we see them. Um, so there was this person in Texas, his name, I'm sorry, with the Z, um, I'm forgetting it. His last name was Rahimi. His yeah. name Rahimi. And so he was a drug dealer. I, I want to say Azaki. I think yeah, his name yeah, Azaki, was, Azaki yeah. Rahimi. Um, um, he was a drug dealer. Um, he had assaulted his, I think it was his girlfriend um, or his partner. Um, and... Um, you know, with a firearm. <clears throat> so she went to get a protective order against him. And um, and then later when the police went to his, or law enforcement went to his, um, well, then what had happened was later on that, I think it was that same week, um, he shot off a firearm a couple of times in the air. Um, I think he had an assault rifle as well. I mean, there was a multiple incidents of mm-hmm. um, using a firearm, and I think he had assaulted another person as well. Um, and so, when they went to take away his firearms, he he pled um, because he had a protective order. He said that yeah, he did. You know, he he pled guilty to having a firearm, but then he. He later argued that um, taking away his firearms was a violation of the Second Amendment rights. And so that is a case that is currently in the um, Supreme Court. It was heard on November 7th, and they're going to determine whether or not someone who has a protective order, um, whether or not they should or shouldn't be able to purchase or possess a firearm. This should be such a clear-cut case just to be no. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, it makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, I so I don't have a legal background. Yeah. Um I it, to, it absolutely, you know, you can see how sur- survivors of um, abuse could really be harmed by this. Yeah. Um you know, if there's a protective order, obviously there is some fear and and grounds for fear. So allowing a person who is under a protective order to have a firearm, just, it, it, like you said, it just, there's, there's some dissonance there, definitely. Um, but we'll see, I mean, the Supreme Court will render its verdict um, in a couple of months. And, you know, we're hoping, we're hoping that they don't, they don't yeah. change current laws. Yeah. Um, Wow. I know it's it's scary. It's scary to think it is um, of where we are, you yeah. know, in terms of safety and gun rights. Yeah. Well, hold that thought real quick. We're going to take a really quick break. Um, you are listening to one hundred three point five Hum FM with your Chai Time Girls. We will be right back in the short break. Welcome back to Chai Time here on one hundred three point five Hum FM. For those of you that have just tuned in, we are in conversation with Swati from Daya, and we are talking about domestic violence and gun violence. So um, while well, we were on break, you were talking about um, 
some of the uh, gaps in the law. Yeah, so I know we were just talking about the Rahimi case, but yeah. then there are also a few gaps um, that do exist that um, that allow you know people to be able to purchase guns, and you know um, one of the big ones is. Um, a private gun show or buying from a private seller. You don't have to go through background checks um, in, you know, in order to... I did not know this. Yeah, so if you go to a licensed firearm you know, retailer, um, yeah. they do have to do background checks. Yeah. But if you go to a private sale seller yeah. or a gun show, you don't, you don't have to. And so, so they would have no way of knowing, right? And so, so that's, that's, um, that's one of the ways. Um, um, you know, wow. that people are able to kind of bypass. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. There, so, you know, it's when you kind of look at gun laws um, and then you look at public safety and community safety, um, there has to be a balance. Right. Right. And, um, and so, so that's kind of where, you know, we find ourselves right now. Okay. Yeah. So what does gun violence and domestic violence look like in AAPI communities? Yeah. So, you know, when, um, you know, when I was talking about the stats earlier, I was kind of talking sort of, um, everybody general. In, in general in the U S right. So nearly, Nearly half of all women who are murdered in the U.S. are killed by a current or a former intimate partner. Um, every year, year in Texas, about one million women are victims of domestic violence. Fifty-five to sixty-eight percent of AAPI women have experienced some form of domestic violence. Um, and I had stats, I couldn't pinpoint them right before I came on the number of AAPI women who are killed um, by firearm. Of course, um, a few weeks ago, there was um, an Indo-Caribbean woman who was here in um, the Houston area in Katy, who was um, fleeing um, her abusive situation and her estranged husband shot her and killed her. Um, as well as stab her sister, um, and and so um, I, I mean it, it exists in our communities. We are not um, immune or siloed from you know the general population. You know any issue that is an American issue is also an AAPI issue, right? And so. Um, you know, so we know. And um, and just, you know, sort of anecdotally, we also know from people who call in our helpline, I mean, there there is, there is gun ownership among, you know, the South Asian AAPI community, right? It, it's not like we don't own guns either. Right. So, um, so there is an intersection. Um, one of the issues also is that um, when it comes to things like, um, you know, our communities don't often reach out for help, right? right. They don't often make that phone call. Um, and so we do have 
a gap in numbers. Um, so, you know, but we know it, it exists. I mean, yeah, you know, we see it. It's sad, and I feel like I, I wish I could just shake every person and be like, if these things are happening, it's okay. Just pick up the phone, help them out. Don't shut, shrug everything under the rug. It's, it's, this is just why, like, it, it always upsets me so much when I hear stories like this. And I, I, we talk about this so much, and I feel like we could do so much better for these people that are going through this. And yet, we just put everything under the rug and just move around about our day like nothing is happening. Yeah, I it's mean, not it's, okay. it's not. It's totally not okay. And it, you know, um, just the fact that there, for whatever reason, talking about issues like um, abuse or fear or, um, just, you know, just even generally being unhappy. We started off our conversation today by how happy <laughs> we feel, right? Yes, yes. Like, oh, the sun is out, how happy we feel. Um, how often will we start off a conversation by, oh, it's so cloudy and gloomy. You know, I feel really blasé. Yeah. I, I mean, we need to normalize conversations yes. about how we feel um, because it takes the stigma away. Yeah. And um, and until we do that, we're just, there's so many people who are going to be suffering in silence. And there's no need for that. Like there I said, no there is no need for that. So. And there's so many different resources that are available. I mean, Gaia, for one, is one of them. And you guys are such a great organization that are there to hold your hand and yeah, be like, absolutely. you know what, let's walk this walk let's with walk you. With, right, absolutely. I mean, there's um, there's absolutely no reason no reason anybody should be suffering in yeah. silence yeah. at all, okay. you know? Um, and that's what we want, right? We want everybody to live a healthy life. You know, happy. You know, you know, life devoid of fear. Right, yes. right. Nobody should. Nobody should have um, that fear of force, oppression, control, sort of hanging over them. I can't even imagine. No, I mean, you know. Um, so you know, I mean, a big part of it is is recognizing that, okay, this may be happening to me, or this may be happening to a friend yeah. um, that I know of. This may be happening to a coworker. Um, I see signs, I see somebody who seems to be withdrawn. Yeah. Um, I see, you know, and sometimes, sometimes there aren't signs, right? But, you know, in conversation, you know, you can pick up cues. Um, and I don't know. Listening with an empathetic heart is just so important. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. And sometimes that person just needs a friend to hear them out. Yeah. To listen to them and help them. Maybe they're too afraid or, or, or embarrassed to even come out and say, hey, I need help. But if you see it, you know, be that, be that person. Be that confidant. Be that light, right? Yeah. Be that, you know. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's really not a big ask to just be human, <laughs> you know, yeah. and and to and to just um, want the same thing that you want for yourself for others. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. so, are there any specific risk factors for domestic violence incidents involving firearms? Mm. <laughs> 
you know, there's no one typical detectable personality of an abuser. Um, some of them have some common characteristics that you, you know, sometimes see um, across the board. Um, oftentimes they'll minimize um, how serious the issue is, yeah. or they'll say, oh no, that's not domestic violence, or that's not abuse. Uh, and they'll kind of do that over and over again. Um, they might objectify the victim, um, you know, or see them as property. Yeah. Um, sometimes um, an abuser may lack or may have low self-esteem, even though he or she may visibly seem like you know, they know what they're doing or they're in charge or, you know, um, but internally there may be sort of this, this um, self-esteem, you know, feeling inadequate. Um, a lot of times they'll, um, they'll externalize the cause to like stress or alcohol or like, oh, that wasn't really me. But, you know, um, those things may all be a factor, um, but they are never the reason, right? And so, um, so those are sort of maybe some of the characteristics, mm -hmm. but the biggest risk factor um, is the presence of a firearm. Like, like I said, I mean, the incidence of um, a homicide, a murder, a fatality, increases by 500% just by the presence of a firearm in the home. And when I say in the home, I don't necessarily mean in the house. Um, I mean just the presence of a firearm because many people have them in a car. Many people carry them with them. Yeah. Um, so the presence of a firearm just, you know, like I said, 60% increase in, in Houston. That is just in our little city here, big city. 60% increase since 2021. That is crazy. And that's just because um, permitless carry sort of came into um, law. And you know you, it, you can see the correlation between um, the presence of a gun and yeah. you know, a fatality. Oh, man. OK. Um, uh, how can someone safely leave an abusive relationship? That's yeah, I know. We kind of talked about this a little bit earlier. Yeah. Um, you know, it's never easy to leave. Like, you know, you yeah. were talking about, well, you know, people shouldn't, you know, have judgment. Like, why didn't he leave or why didn't she leave? It's never as easy as it might seem on the outside. Right. Um, there it could be, you know, psychological, financial, physical control, you know, um, that's going on. But um, but once you know you you sort of have decided that um, the alternative is is better. The alternative, I, I I you know that you need to leave. That someone needs to leave. The best thing to do is to call um, an organization like Thea. Mm -hmm where um, our advocates are equipped to be able to provide, you know, safety planning, you know, for those clients. Because there's so much to consider, um, you know, where to go. Like you were talking about housing, um, transportation, school, workplace sort of um, 
um, precautions and things like that. So especially, I feel I feel more for those that have just moved into this country, uh, don't speak the language, do not have a, an education, have no work skills. What happens to them? Yeah, they're more abused, right? Because they're like, well, where are you gonna go? Um, but there, but there are there is recourse. Yes, there are recourse, of course. right? So they may not know it. That's the thing. You yes, know, they yes. they may feel like, oh, this is a hopeless situation. What am I gonna do? I don't know anybody. I don't know where to go. I don't. But there are there are places you can go. There yes. are there are avenues, um, and that's why we're here, right? Yes. To be able to help them, you know, through that. Will it? Is it easy? Nothing. It's not easy, but it is. There are ways. There are ways to be able to flee safely. Yes. And um, and start to um, that process of healing from that abuse and being able to put one foot forward and um, and leading a life of safety and yes. um, and dignity and um, but it starts with making that call. Yeah, that's the first step. Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the things that is also important to understand in this, just like staying in an abusive situation, um, you know, victims have many reasons for why they stay. Um, but even when they leave, you know, sort of managing those expectations of what it's going to be like, how, um, how freedom and independence is going to look step by step that's a really important crucial element to having um advocates like they you know sort of on your side yeah yeah so um what are some common myths about domestic violence um so you know that it's the victim's fault Right. Um, there, th I think that's probably one of the first ones that you know you often hear. Oh, um, they played a role in the abuse, especially in some of these um, uh, um, culturally different communities. Yes. Right. You know, you sort of hear, oh, he did something or she did something um, that caused it. And yes. I say caused in air quotes. Nobody causes it's not the victim's fault it's never the victim's fault um that is such a misperception i mean the reality is that no matter what there's nothing the victim has done to invite abuse um just because a perpetrator might be charming and charismatic on the exterior doesn't mean that he or she isn't controlling or manipulative yeah you know in private Right. So, um, so I mean, that's one of them. Uh, you know, oftentimes we'll hear things like, "Oh, it's just a slap." You know, uh, you know, like in the Kuchine Hoga. You yeah. know, it's just you know. But it, it can it can lead to so much worse, right? Um, it's never just a slap. It's not right, and it can it can definitely you know exacerbate and turn into, you know, a very lethal sort of um, situation. Um, you know, we talked about the different forms of abuse. Some people think that um, abuse has to be physical in order for it to be abuse, mm -hmm. but that's not true. Yeah. You know, like we talked about the emotional, psychological, financial, yeah. anytime force, control, coercion mm -hmm. is involved, 
um, preventing you from, um, you know, beating you, uh, you know, psychologically, emotionally, sort of beating you down and preventing you from, yeah. you know, um, being able to live fully and safely. Yeah. You know, that that's abuse. Um, and again, like, oh, it wasn't, he's not like that, she's not like that. That person was drinking. That person was under the influence. Um, again, yeah, that's no, that's not, that's not. Those are all myths. Um, um, you know, once it happens, you know, and and staying in a staying in a relationship, I can help this person. You know, um, yeah. heal. I can help this person. Um, that may not necessarily be the case. I'm not saying that you should leave. Um, permanently or that somebody can't rehabilitate um, but if an abuser has an, a problem you as a victim aren't going to be able to help that abuser heal from you know that yeah. problem yeah right? you know I always wonder what makes the abuser become an abuser oh my god there can be so many things right it can be a, it's a cycle many times right, right? that is, is like a learned behavior yeah, yeah I mean that is you know what he or she may have seen you know growing up um whether it's in their own homes whether it's um you know something picked up from the environment um but those things sort of embed in their psyche right and and poor um, communication skills uh anger management um yeah. you know skills and, and like i said there are um there are workshops to sort of kind of see what some of those red flags are. Controlling behaviors can, you know, um, quickly escalate into um, aggression, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. so, um, yeah. yeah. I always wonder about that. Maybe yeah. one day we'll get to the mind of the yeah. user and see what really ticks them, like what, what, what makes them do the things that they do. Yeah, yeah. and, and it, it is important to kind of understand that so that you can break that cycle yeah um so again part of you know what we also like to do at the you know through our community outreach is to talk um to young people about um you know red flags um yeah. and healthy relationships and the red flags not just for people to sort of um recognize oh maybe i need to get out of this relationship um because um this isn't right for me or i can see potential signs of abuse but even for the person who is perpetrating like may not even realize and yeah. kind of you know have like this aha moment like oh my gosh this is how i am sort of behaving in my relationships i need to take stock of what i'm doing maybe i need to seek counseling or something yeah. so that yeah. um you know and so doing that starting that at an early age you know is yeah. really important it is Especially in the underserved community, I feel like that's where we need to also focus on because, like, just educate the parents for them to also see the signs that they see those in their kids. Yeah, to prevent it from a young age. For sure, for sure. I mean, and you know, um, so there's a couple of things there, right? Especially like in our culturally, you know, in some of our communities um, where our families may not necessarily be open to dating yeah. and you might have um, parents who have teenagers and the teenagers are dating but they don't want to tell their parents yeah um, you know for fear of yeah you know, whatever you know you can't or whatever yeah. um, 
It's going to happen regardless, parents. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, so, and, and the thing is, so then those parents may not be aware of what's going on, right? Yes. Because those, those, those kids are like keeping Afraid. the fact that yeah. they're even dating. Yeah. Um, one thing to kind of also be aware of is like when you see um, signs like, uh, you know, your, your child's boyfriend or girlfriend sort of asking for passwords and um, of their each other's accounts mm. and social media things. Yeah. Like those are signs of like controlling behavior. True. Right? Wow. So. Okay. Well, any last words that you would like to share with our listeners? You know, um, if, if you're in an abusive situation or if you um, um, need someone to kind of help you through whatever situation you may be in um, regard, you know, regarding safety, and um, you can call our helpline, 713-981-7645. Um, we are here to help. We do this through a culturally, com um, uh, culturally competent lens. Um, different languages and all of our services are confidential um we are here to walk you through the entire process and so um so that that's that's what we aim to do because we just believe that everybody deserves to be able to live you know um in safety yes absolutely well it's it's been an hour. I can't believe Time it. Time like, so I, quickly. I, I felt like there were so <laughs> many more things yes. that we could have just talked about. But, yeah. but thank you for giving Daya this platform, um, and for you know for us to be able to talk about like the intersections of domestic violence and gun violence. One more thing I wanted to say yes. is, um, you know, as a community, we can you know model appropriate behavior, right? Yes. We can learn about what healthy relationships look like. We can support survivors. Um, we can, um, and we can also use our um, ability to vote um, so that we have better gun laws. You know, yeah, absolutely. So, oh, thank you so much for joining us oh. here with your Chai Time Girls um, on one of the Hamatam. Um, it's always a pleasure having Daya and you on the show. This is, I think, your, our second second show with, yeah, with, yeah, with you. Yeah. So um, we really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Um, listeners, it. Yeah. next week, um, same time, same place. We'll see you then. Thank you.